Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, let's dive into God's Word together, and to kick off our summer series, uh, Pastor Matthew asked me to preach for the next three Sundays on the topic of worship. And worship is something that we do often. We come each week to gather together to worship the Lord, but it's, it's not something we often talk about a whole lot. We, we don't often talk about why we do what we do and, and what worship is really about. And I see my role here as the worship pastor at Crosslink more than just leading a couple songs on a Sunday morning. I see it, my role as to, to teach us how to worship and, and to develop and build a culture of worship here at Crosslink. I want worship to be in the fabric of everything we do as a church. And I believe that that all starts with a biblical understanding of um, I had a lot of experience worshiping. So I grew up in the church uh, as, a, as a little boy, confessed faith in Christ. And if you had to ask me when I was a little kid what my favorite thing to do in the entire world was, it would be to sing in church, believe it or not. And as I grew up, I got involved in leading worship. I started to sing and play my guitar in our youth band. And then um, I did an internship in my college years at my home church. And so I was leading uh, music on Sunday mornings at my home church. And then uh, God opened up the opportunity for me to start a band and start touring um, and just ministering and leading worship um, at a variety of conferences and retreats and churches and youth groups and all that good stuff. But with all of that, I had so much experience leading worship and experience worshiping myself, but I didn't, at that point in my life, I, I didn't have a great biblical understanding of what I was doing. I didn't have a biblical foundation for worship. And it wasn't until I began studying at Liberty that I started to truly uncover what the Bible says about worship and why it's so important in our lives. My hope throughout this series is to help us gain a better understanding of worship so, so that it adds meaning to what we do each and every Sunday morning when we gather and also in our daily lives. A little while ago, I was reading a book um, called uh, uh, Rhythms of Grace by Mike Cosper. And in that book, there was a chapter. Uh, it was called Worship One, Two, Three. And as I read that chapter, I was like, man, this is a really, really cool way to kind of explain worship from a biblical perspective. And so that's kind of the launching point for our series. Um, I'm going to delve into that worship one, two, three, and kind of expand on that and delve into that in each message. So over the next three weeks, uh, we'll be looking at worship one, the one object of worship, worship two, the two contexts of worship, and worship three, the three audiences of worship. So worship one, two, three. Today's message is worship one, the one object of worship. Now, Scripture makes it clear to us that there is a right way to worship and also a wrong way to worship. So let's take a look at the screen, and we're going to take a look at some examples of some wrong ways to worship. So let's watch this together. I will sing of your love on Sundays, only sing of your love on Sundays. Sing of your love on Sundays, then this feeling is gone by Monday. 
song for years It's now a standard here video is humorous, but maybe, just maybe, it hits a little close to home. There is definitely a wrong way to worship, and I exalt me is an easy trap to fall into. Worshiping self is probably the most common form of wrong worship. The reality is that God created us to be worshiping beings. We're all made to worship, and so we're all going to worship something. And we can wrongfully direct our worship to many things. Maybe it's money or security or family or fame or pleasure or even ourselves. There are so many things that can steal away our worship from the one who truly deserves it, the God of this universe. It's my prayer today that in our lives there is only one object of worship, and that is the Lord And we're going to see that illustrated in scripture today as Jesus teaches us how to be a true worshiper. Our text for today is John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. So if you have a Bible with you today, go ahead and turn there. John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. But before we read the passage together, I just want to give us a little context for what's going on in John chapter 4. So Jesus is on a journey. He's on his way from Judea, and he's headed to Galilee. And between those two regions was a place called Samaria. And so we've got a a map there, a picture, so you can clearly see at the bottom is Judea, Galilee's at the top, and then there's this big region in the middle called Samaria. And the reality was that most Jews avoided Samaria like the plague because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And so if most Jews were traveling, they would actually go all the way around Samaria rather than go through it. And as you can see, that's really out of the way. And the reason that Jews hated Samaritans so much was that Samaritans were a mixed race. They were part Jew and they were part Gentile. And the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that the Pharisees would even pray that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. That's pretty harsh. But, but Jesus, Jesus decides that he is going to pass through Samaria, and he reaches a town called Sychar. And wearied from his journey, he sits down at a well. And as he is sitting there, a woman comes up to get water. 
And Jesus engages her in conversation, which at that time and in that culture was was a big no-no. But in the course of conversation, the Samaritan woman begins to ask questions about worship. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. So let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. So John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would open our eyes this morning just to the truth of your word, that you would teach us from John chapter 4 how to be better worshipers. And God, I just pray, Lord, that, that, that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would just be open to hear your word today. Just pray that you would do it all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we see here in the text that the Samaritan woman was asking questions about the location of where people were to worship. And the well that they were actually sitting at was at the base of a mountain called Gerizim, which was the location of the Samaritan temple. So when she asked, you know, should we worship at this mountain, literally she could turn around and point to it. Now, The location of the Samaritan temple was on Mount Gerizim, whereas the Jewish temple was on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't directly answer her question. He instead turns the conversation away from the place of worship and turns it towards the meaning of worship. And in the message today, we're going to ask and answer three questions about worship. And the first question is, what is worship? What is worship? And I've heard worship defined in many different ways. In fact, I ask every person who auditions to be a part of our worship team here at Crosslink to define worship, how they would define worship. And I've gotten some great answers, but I don't think I've heard two people say the same thing. And there there are a lot of ideas out there about what worship is. And one of the really common responses and, and things that I hear is that worship is music or worship is singing. And while singing is an aspect of worship, it does not define the whole of what worship is. And quite frankly, I I not only believe that that mentality that worship equals singing is misguided, but frankly, it can be dangerous to define worship this way in our church culture. And and don't get me wrong, singing is, is important. I mean, if singing wasn't important, I'd be out of a job. But... Scripture exhorts us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's over 200 references in both the Old and New Testaments to singing. So is singing important? Absolutely it is. However, singing cannot be the totality of our worship. Singing can can be understood as an expression of love to God, but it's just that. It's it's an expression, not the whole thing. 
And oftentimes we hear the terms praise and worship kind of thrown around interchangeably. But in reality, just like singing, praise is just an aspect of our worship. And when we sing, oftentimes we are just simply praising the Lord. And just like we could praise someone we know for their skill, like I, I could say to my wife, your cupcakes are amazing, as you know, a lot of you guys experienced last week. Um, in the same way, we can say words of praise to the Lord like we did this morning. Lord, there's nothing better than you. You see, praise comes from our lips, but worship comes from our lives. Praise comes from our lips, but worship comes from our lives. And to illustrate the relationship with praise or singing and worship, think with me of, of marriage. So my wife, Lindsay, and I uh, will be married eight years uh, this July. And something that we often say, which I'm sure in your marriage you probably say as well, is, I love you. And, and we're expressing something that we feel in our hearts towards each other, but are words the only way that, that we can express our love for one another? Of course not. You know, other things that I could do for my wife is, you know, I could sit down with her and, and ask her about how her day was. I, I could take her on a date night. I, I, I could surprise her with a gift or I could do chores that she hates like dishes and laundry and all that good stuff. And there's, there's plenty of ways that I can show Lindsay that I love her other than just saying the words, I love you. And the same is true with worship. Singing is an awesome expression of our love for God. It's like telling God I love you, but it's not the whole of our worship to him. Our worship is defined by the way that we obey and we serve and we sacrifice for the Lord. And we'll talk about this more next week, but worship is a lifestyle of honoring God. And out of a life of worship comes a song of praise. I mentioned a moment ago that I believe that defining go, if you had have Googled uh, the word worship, this is what you would have seen, right? So this image would have come up. It's just a picture of somebody just in a time with the Lord, just surrendering to him. 10 years ago, if you had to Google the word worship, you get this. So you get a band and lights and screens and fog and all that good stuff. You get the worship experience. Today, if you Google worship, you get this. So that's Elevation Worship, and I'm not saying anything bad about Elevation. We sang one of their songs this morning, so I'm not, I'm not going after Elevation at all. However, when the totality of our worship can be defined by our favorite songs or our favorite artists, there's a danger there. We have the danger of, uh, of teetering on the line of, of making worship more about what we like in our musical experience than the experience with the God whom we're supposed to be worshiping. So why is that dangerous? Well, because oftentimes the way Satan attacks the church is not to try to get us to completely turn our backs on God or to hate God. That, that would be really obvious. Satan wants us to just miss out on God. He wants us to get so preoccupied with our stuff, with our services and our songs and our lights and all this planning and all this kind of stuff that we completely miss the God that we're trying to worship. And it's kind of a, a weird thing to think about, but we can actually worship worship. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 says this about the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But listen to this. 
but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. In other words, the Ephesian church, they were doing everything right. They were doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Their heart wasn't in it. In the same way, it's good to sing together, but if our hearts are not in it, what's the point? The church has to get back to this true heart of worship where it's all about the Lord and nothing else. So if worship is, is not just about singing, then, then what is it? Well, I love the way that John Piper defines worship. He says, true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. True worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. That means that God is number one in your life. He's your greatest treasure. He's more important than your your family. He's more important than your dreams and your goals. He's more important than your job. He's more important than your possessions and your hobbies and your sports team and anything else in your life. Can you honestly say that? You know, sometimes it's helpful, you know, to to self-evaluate and to ask ourselves some questions like this. What do I think about most? What do I spend my time and my money on? What could I not bear being taken away from me? And whatever comes to your mind when you ask yourself those questions, that's what you worship. But true worship is valuing and treasuring God above all things. And worship matters to God. In in the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, the first two state, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol. These first two commands have to do with our worship. And while we may not in today's culture set up big statues and bow down to them, we, we absolutely still have idols in our culture. And we mentioned some of them earlier, like money and fame and success and hobbies and possessions and pleasure, and the list could go on and on. Anything that takes God's rightful place in our lives are idols. And God didn't take kindly when the Israelites in the Old Testament started worshiping other gods, and he doesn't take kindly to it when we do the same today. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And just to be honest with you guys, one thing that can easily become an idol in my life, as silly as it may sound to you, is guitars. I love, you know, researching about guitars, learning more about guitars. I love playing guitar. I love working on my guitars. I love buying new guitar gear and all that kind of stuff. You get the point. But sometimes I can get so consumed in my free time with all my free time spent you know, on my family or, or, or these guitars that I have so little amount of time left for the Lord. And that's not good. And so at times in my life, I've had to like sell stuff or just like keep myself in check with how much time I'm actually spending on guitar stuff because I want to make that time for the Lord in my life and I want to honor him most of all. And now, it's, it's not wrong to like guitars, and it's not wrong to own guitars. I use them for ministry most every week. But that's also true of most idols. They're, they're not necessarily bad things. But at the end of the day, everything in this world is passing away, and we must focus our time and attention on effort, and effort on the things that are going to matter for eternity. Now, I'm assuming that most of you guys don't struggle with guitars being an idol in your life, but... Maybe today you can clearly identify an idol in, 
your life. And I would challenge you to just to give those things up, to surrender them to the Lord, to keep them in check, and ask God to be the only object of your worship. Well, that leads us to a second question about worship, which is, who are we to worship? Now, for those of us that grew up in the church, I think we all know the Sunday school answer. So who are we to worship? Jesus, that's right, that's right. But the question for us today is, not do we know of Jesus, but do we really know him? Jesus' response to the Samaritan woman in verses 21 and 22 of John chapter 4 are interesting. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Listen to this. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus redirects her question from the, the place of worship to the person of worship. You see, the Samaritans had some knowledge of God, but they didn't have the whole picture. The Samaritans embraced the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, or Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they also embraced the historical books, but they rejected the Psalms and the Prophets. And so by doing that, they cut themselves off from the full revelation of who God is. And they had this sort of crude mixture of, of truth and error and this half-truth. And, and Jesus said that the Jews worship what they know because they were God's chosen people and they embraced all of the scriptures as God's word. And the Jews had a more complete picture of God, whereas the Samaritans only had part of the picture. And Jesus told the Samaritan woman that she worships what do, she doesn't know because our knowledge or a picture of the God that we worship, it, it matters. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said, everything about our lives, our attitudes, motives, desires, actions, and even our words is influenced by our view of God. Theologian A.W. Tozer goes further than that and says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we can get into trouble sometimes when we have our own perceptions and we, we don't fully know the truth. And many people base their perspective uh, of God on, on their own experiences. So, so maybe they've had hard times in their life and so they just assume that, that God isn't good and that he doesn't care. You know, maybe they've done something in their life that they just feel is unforgivable so all of a sudden God is not a forgiving God. And maybe they live just a comfortable life, financially secure, without a care in the world. So God's not relevant because I don't really need him. And the problem with our perspective is it can be deceiving. Let's take a look at these pictures. So if you look at this picture, just taking it on its own, you conclude that, wow, oh, I didn't know this, that trees grow vertically and horizontally. Huh, okay, cool. Uh, the next picture, huh, high school girls can levitate. That's really interesting. And the last one, whoa, centaurs do exist. Pastor Michael will be thrilled. Narnia was right. <laughs> but we see these pictures, and we know, obviously, we're just seeing a part of the picture. We're, we're missing spots in there. And, you know, as Christians, we need to determine our perspective of God, not based on our experiences or the limited picture of what we think God is like, but based on the truth. And we find the truth about God in his word. You don't think it's important to read and understand your Bible? Think again. 
Failure to understand what God is like causes us to, to set up and chase after and worship false gods. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, listen to this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Moral of the story, we need God's word to, to show us how to worship him in truth. And it's sad in our culture today that the concept of truth is so distorted. You hear all the time, well, you know, what, what's true for you may not be true for me, or truth is, is relative. And I remember one time, um, we have several uh, just uh, people that serve with uh, the Ministry of Crew on GMU's campus at our church. And I remember one time one of them was telling me a story about an interaction they had with a student on campus. And uh, so they had the opportunity to share the gospel with this student. And the student kind of stopped and, and kind of thought for a minute and just said, well, that's cool. You know, that may be true for you. That, that's not true for me. So I'm good. And the, the crew worker kind of challenged that thing. He's like, hold up, hold up. So you said, like, basically, there's no, there's no concrete truth. So if that is true, is what you're saying is true, then think about Hitler. What, if he truly believed in his heart that what he was doing was right, then was he right in killing all those people? And the student kind of thought for a minute, and it's like, yeah, I guess so. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is absolute truth, and that's found in God's word. And if we want to truly worship the Lord, we must know the God of the Bible. And as we've already talked about, singing is, is only one aspect of our worship, but what we sing about God and what we sing to God is, is really important. We must sing lyrics that glorify God, but also accurately represent who he is. As, as the worship pastor at Crossing, I take that role really seriously. I, I look at each song and, and make sure that it's teaching us right things about God and it's correct in its theology and rooted in God's word. But there are songs out there that can lead us to wrong thinking about God. And one of the songs that I get asked about quite a bit um, is the song, Reckless Love. And I, I'm going to open a bit of a can of worms here, so forgive me, but this song is, is really well written. It's a great song, and most of the lyrics are awesome. But some of the lyrics in the song could lead us to believe that God is reckless. And, and the word reckless in our society, it's, it's never a good thing. You think about reckless behavior or reckless driving, and what the word reckless actually means, the, the dictionary definition is without thinking about the consequences of an action. So without thinking about the consequences of an action. So if you think about God's love, is it, is it extravagant? Is it beyond what we could even imagine? Yes. But is God's love reckless? I, I don't know, because God's love to me is, is intentional. And when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't impulsive. It wasn't without thought. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, I've heard the author of the song explain it, and honestly, when he explains it in depth, it, it, it does make sense to me. But, you know, if the song isn't explained well and, and we're just singing along with it, it, it could lead to wrong thinking about God. And I just use that song as an example. I don't want to ruin that song for you. That's not my intention. But 
recognizing uh, that, that what we sing and the truths that we sing are important is, is really important. It, my intention is, is to get us thinking biblically about what we are singing and not singing things that could lead us to confusion. Now, that's my commitment to you, that, that I'm going to do everything I can to lead us in songs that accurately show us who God is. When we come to church, my hope is that we all get a greater glimpse of this amazing God through the songs and, and the sermon. But if you really want to uncover more and more of who God is, you've got to get into God's word yourself. God's given us this incredible book so that we can get to know him more. So take advantage of it. Read it every day and let it give you a bigger and better picture of the God of this universe. Theologian John Stott says, theology, our belief about God, and doxology, our worship of God, should never be separated. On the one hand, there can be no doxology without theology. It's not possible to worship an unknown God. On the other hand, there should be no theology without doxology. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. So as we get to know the God of the Bible, it should always lead us to worship him in a greater way. Well, we've looked at the question, so what is worship and who are we to worship? And that leaves us with one final question today, which is how are we to worship? How are we to worship? And Jesus answers that question in verse 23 of John chapter 4. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So how are we to worship? Well, first in spirit and in truth. In verse 23, it says, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Well, if there's true worshipers, then it also follows that there are false worshipers. And we see throughout the Bible that, that God accepts some people's worship and he rejects others. And some worship is offered in truth, but not in spirit. And some worship is offered in spirit, but not in truth. Now think back with me to, to Genesis chapter 4. It's one of the, the first examples of worship in the Bible. Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, present offerings to the Lord. Cain, as a, a farmer, he brings some of his crop. But Abel, who was a shepherd, he brought fat portions of some of the very firstborn of his flock. Basically, Cain, Cain brought a good offering, but Abel brought his very best. And starting in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 4, it says... The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. In the next verse, we see that Cain takes his brother Abel out into a field and he kills him. True and proper worship is a serious thing. Cain had a heart issue. He didn't think that God deserved the absolute best he had to offer. He worshiped in truth, like his offering was to the right God, but he didn't worship in spirit. His heart wasn't in it. Isaiah 29, 13. Uh, in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So 
We shouldn't just worship in, in spirit, but also in truth. And, and God's going to reject worship that is in truth, but not in spirit. And he'll also reject worship that's in spirit, but not in truth. In 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah has a worship showdown with the prophets of Baal. And the challenge is for both parties to, to present an offering, and whichever offering uh, that God lights and lights on fire, that is the true God. The prophets of Baal were surely sincere in their worship. They worshiped with all their spirit. 1 Kings 18, 26 through 29 says, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he gets a little cheeky here, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the offering of the ablation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. These prophets of Baal, they, I mean, they were intense. They cut themselves with swords. They, they danced and they shouted. They did all these things. I don't think anyone would question their devotion. But they had one problem. They were worshiping a God that didn't exist. They weren't worshiping in truth. Pastor Stephen Cole said, all true worshipers are sincere, but not all sincere worshipers are true. And you may be very sincere in your devotion to Christ, but if you don't truly know the God of the Bible and what he is like, then you're not truly worshiping. Now, like I said earlier, my, my goal is, is that we as a church are worshiping together in truth. But are you, are you worshiping in spirit? Are you just giving God lip service on Sunday morning as you sing the words, or is your heart truly in it? I know that not every song or even really the style of music that, that we use at Crossing, it might not be your cup of tea, it might not be your preference, but I, I just challenge you to think about what we are singing we take the songs this morning for an example. You know, when we sing Our God Saves, think about maybe times that you have seen God save people around you. Or think about your salvation, and then you can confidently say, I know that to be true, and so I'm going to sing out that Our God Saves. Or maybe there's a period in your life when you just wandered away and you went to the world and just looked for satisfaction and fulfillment in everything the world has to offer. And you came up empty. Then you can sing with confidence that I searched the world and it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. There's nothing better than you, Lord. So let the truth of these songs just stir your affections for Christ and let your praise out. Sing out, close your eyes, raise your hands, and give him all of your praise in spirit and in truth. So how are we to worship? Well, in spirit and in truth. But in verse 24, Jesus sheds a little more light on how we are to worship. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And like we've talked about, when Jesus said, worship in spirit and truth, I believe that this means that our spirit, our spirit or inner being must be devoted to the Lord. Our heart must be in it. And we must also know the God that we are worshiping. 
But I believe Jesus is also applying another meaning to spirit and truth and giving us a little theology lesson in the role of the Trinity in our worship. So we're to worship in spirit and truth and also worship through the Trinity. And for those of you who may not be familiar with the the concept or the term Trinity, uh, it's our way of understanding that there are three persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see all three acting throughout Scripture And we believe them to be equal in authority, but different in function. You know, all three are fully God, but they perform different roles in our lives. And now, that was a quick theological side note, so let's get back to John 4. So in verse 24, Jesus says that God is spirit. And here I believe Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit, a member of the Trinity. And we see the Holy Spirit active throughout Scripture. You know, we see him active in creation and, and leading and guiding people in the Old Testament. And, and after Pentecost, um, indwelling all believers. So we worship in the Holy Spirit, but we also worship in truth. Well, as we've seen, this refers to the truth of God's word, but Scripture also tells us that Jesus is the perfect embodiment of God's word. In John 14, 6, Jesus clearly states that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we say that we must worship in spirit and in truth, it could be said that we must worship in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus. And the reality is that that worship involves all three persons of the Trinity. You see, we worship the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We worship the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me illustrate this for you. So we've got a picture on the screen of a light bulb. So say that God wants to turn on this light. So God the Father would say, let there be light. God the Son would pull the little chain, and the Holy Spirit would provide the electricity. So all three persons of the Trinity are involved in getting that light turned on. Each had a different role in the process, but it took all of them to accomplish the task. The same thing happens when we worship. You see, the Holy Spirit is the electricity or or the fuel that allows us to worship. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit in us, in, in other words, if we're not saved, we don't have the power to worship God. We can't get anywhere in our car if we don't have any gas or fuel in it. And we also can't turn on a light if we don't have electricity. So the Holy Spirit is is therefore our prerequisite for worship because God can't accept our worship as, as sinful human beings. Well, that brings us to Jesus' role in our worship. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, there's a lot to that verse, and there's some pretty in-depth theology there, but the the he this passage is referring to is Jesus himself. And it basically tells us that Jesus sings praise to the Father when we gather to worship. And the coolest part of this, however, is is that he sings on our behalf. Jesus intercedes for us before the Father in the heavenly sanctuary. Our worship is from broken and sinful human vessels that that Jesus takes and he heals the worship and he perfects it and then he presents it to the Father. So when we sing songs of praise, Jesus takes our imperfect worship and he covers it in his righteousness and then he gives it to the Father on our behalf. 
You see, we can have electricity, but if the pull chain's broken, we don't get any light. In the same way, we can have a full tank of gas, but if our engine's busted, we're not going to get anywhere. In other words, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we can't worship. But when Jesus saves us, he, he pulls the chain, he fixes the engine, and he, he presents our perfected worship to God. And we can therefore approach the Father with full confidence because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and he perfects our worship. Theologian Ron Mann comments, because we are in union with him, his worship is our worship. We come in and through him into the Father's presence in worship. We come clothed in his righteousness and he bears up our weak offerings of worship and makes them one with his own perfect offering of praise. The real agent in all true worship is Jesus Christ. This means that I'm not the worship leader of this church, and neither is Pastor Matthew. Jesus is. It, no human worship leader or a written song can usher us into the presence of God. It's only Jesus who can do this work. And therefore, in order to have true worship, and in order for our worship to be accepted by God, it must be through Christ and in Christ and by Christ and with Christ. As author Noel Dew states, any worship of God that is not Trinitarian is not fully Christian. So we must worship the Father through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And applying that to our songs on, on Sunday, it, it's important that we sing songs about God the Father and, and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You know, we sing songs, you know, about the Father, like, you know, run to the Father and, and good, good Father and songs about the Son, like Jesus Messiah or living hope and songs about the Spirit, like here again or, or the song Holy Spirit. It's important to have balance here. And, and some churches, you know, have the tendency to focus on one or two members of the Trinity with the exclusion of the others. But as we've seen in John 4, we're, we're called to worship all members of the Trinity. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We're saying that intentionally this morning because we are called to worship through the Trinity. Well, I hope today that we've successfully answered those three questions. What is worship? Who are we to worship? And how are we to worship? The Samaritan woman was asking all of those questions of Jesus. And through Jesus' responses, we've seen that true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all other things. We've seen that we must know the God of the Bible in order to truly worship him. And we've seen that we must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 says that God is seeking true worshipers. And this is the only place in scripture where it actually says that God is seeking something from us. And the Greek word for seek here means desires or requires. God's desire and even requirement for our lives is that we, and in the end, he's going to get it. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the end, God is going to get our worship. And the reality is, if you don't like worshiping here, I guess you're not going to like heaven because that's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. So why not start fully giving him our worship today? Well, as we reflect on God's word today, I just, 
I just encourage you, so, uh, to, uh, encourage you to ask yourself some just questions of reflection. Questions like, am I a true worshiper? Or questions like, do, do I have idols in my life, or is my only object of worship the Lord? What about, do I truly know God or know of him? Do I base my view of God on my experiences or the parts of God that I like? Or, or do I base my view of him on the truth of his word? Am I letting the knowledge of who God is travel from my head down into my heart? Am I truly worshiping in spirit? Maybe today you need to grow in your expression of worship. Maybe you're the one standing in the back row with, with your arms crossed every time we come to sing. And maybe you, you sing the words, but your mind is just far from God. Worship Pastor Roy Nolan says that when the words coming from my lips are contradicted by what's happening in my mind and heart, I have failed to worship God. Or maybe today you need to just choose to be an active participant, to, to choose to engage in meaningful worship. Or maybe today you've never met God before, so you've never worshiped him. Today could be the day that you trust in Jesus as God's son for the forgiveness of your sins and turn from a life of worshiping everything other than the Lord to worshiping only him. If you truly want to worship God, you must have a relationship with him. So I just want us to bow our heads together. I'm just going to give you a few moments just between you and God. Just a few moments to just reflect on God's word today and to just pray and ask the Lord to help you grow in your worship. Maybe today you need to do some business with God. Just to admit to him that, hey, Lord, I've got an idol in my life and I want to surrender it to you today. Maybe you need to commit yourself to, to getting in God's word daily and growing to know him more and more. Maybe you need to ask God to save you and begin a relationship with him. Whatever it is, whatever God is speaking to your heart, let's give you a few minutes just between you and him just to pray to the Lord and then I will close us. God, I just, I pray that in just the stillness and the quietness of this moment, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, if, if there is anything in our lives that we have strayed off course, Lord, Lord, if there's anything that, that we need to confess before you, that we need to turn from, God, I just pray that you bring those things to our hearts and our minds and that, that we would do that, that we repent of those things and just turn to you. God, we want to worship you well. We want to honor your name. And God, I pray that you would, Lord, just throughout, uh, Lord, this week and in the coming weeks, as, as we continue just to focus on worship, God, that you would change our hearts, Lord, and that we would become just better worshipers of you.
and we love you and just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.